Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Saturday, August the 26th, 2023. It is currently 1128 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I don't know how much of this podcast you listen to, but if you listen to this podcast on a consistent and regular basis, I hope you are at least pleasantly surprised by how much content I produce. I I hope, even if you don't agree, even if you think the quality is not very good, you have to be impressed with the sheer quantity of, of episodes I produce on a weekly basis. And hopefully you're somewhat pleasantly surprised, maybe, I, I, I don't want to say shocked, but hopefully you are happy with the great variety of different things we talk about. We can, I can turn on the microphone in one moment. We're talking about something happening in the world, like a news commentary. Then the next minute, you know, we're turning on the microphone, talking about something going on in the world of Christianity, theological, what's happening in the church. Next thing you know, we're doing a, an in-depth Bible study, like our Bible study on the book of Jeremiah. Then we're dealing with theological issues, like the proper distinction between law and gospel. And then we're also dealing with sanctification. Just, you never really know what's going to happen day by day on this podcast. But you do know this, that time and time again, if you're using at least the Church One app, you're going to get a notification like, oh, he's going live again. Oh, wait, he's going live again. Wait, he's going live again. And I hope that, again, even if the quality is not great, hopefully the quantity makes up for it. And hopefully you see the benefit in it. I truly hope you do. Because when I look at all, when I look at all of the episodes that has been produced because on this podcast, I, I at least sit back and go, look, I, I don't know how good anything has been, but man, that is a lot of work just on the church one app alone. Just on the Church One app alone, I'm looking here really quick. Just on the Church One app alone, we have produced 2,885 episodes. And that's within a few years. 2,885 episodes. If you put everything I've done together in probably like four years, you're you're close to probably almost 1,000 episodes a year. If you look at it now, not everything that we've done is on the church one app. We still sometimes are adding in older stuff that was produced somewhere else. Um, someone just said uh, the variety keeps it fun and interesting. I love that. And the unpredictable nature long gospel though is a favorite. And I greatly appreciate someone saying those nice words, but I do look at all of the content we've produced and I do hope it is beneficial and I do hope it is helpful Speaking of long gospel, that's what we're getting ready to be working on right now. And I just noticed that we are almost, I think maybe this episode or the next episode will be the 100th episode. Try to wrap your mind around that. 100 episodes in our ongoing discussion on the proper distinction between law and gospel. Try, just try to wrap your mind around that. In fact, I'm going to verify that. I'm going to verify it here. 
Yes, this this will be number 99. We I have produced 98 episodes. 98 That's well over 98 hours of teaching on the proper distinction between law and gospel. I would dare say there is no one who's ever produced that many hours on the subject of law and gospel. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't even think seminaries who teach on the proper distinction of law and gospel produces that many hours of content in a semester or in a year. I mean, that is a lot of content and it's all available to you. The easiest way is the Church One app because... You, everything is broken down into series. 98 sermons. That means not this one, but the next one. Do we have a celebration? The 100th episode? Now, what is crazy, uh, what is crazy is I've done that many hours of teaching, and yet there will be times that people will either email me or say something to me that clearly indicates I don't think I've done a very good job because they still don't seem to get it or still don't understand. Now, I know I have received strong criticism from some that it's too repetitive. It's too repetitive. It's too repetitive. So on one hand, I'll get very upset going, man, maybe I'm being too repetitive. Maybe I should change this. Then I'll get an email going, uh, <laughs> how do you not get it? I've been so repetitive. So I sometimes I don't know, like, what do you do? All you can do is just keep covering the content and hopefully do as much as you can. If you haven't been with us, you know, we we are using the book, God's No and God's Yes by C.F.W. Walther that contains 25 theses on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We made it to like theses number 11. And then I use the analogy that we jumped the shark using the Happy Days episode where Fonzie jumped the shark on, you know, on, on uh, you know, water skis and a leather jacket. The whole thing's ridiculous. But oh, that, that became kind of synonymous when a te- television show jumps the shark, when you've kind of lost it and the show's not no longer any good. Well, I felt like we kind of jumped the shark in this series that I kind of lost the plot, lost the narrative, and I and I blame myself. And, and clearly people were still not getting things that I thought ha- I had made so very clear. So I kind of kind of became discouraged and thought, you know what, forget it. This is not worth it. And then I'm like, you know what? No, we're going to restart this somehow. And right at that time, Issues ETC, the Lutheran radio program, they started doing their own series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. I'm like, well, this this is perfect. They're using the same book. They're using God's no and God's yes. They're using the lectures of CFW Walther on the proper distinction between law and gospel. We'll take segments from their episodes and we'll use that to kind of do a long gospel redo to get us all the way back. Uh, and and hopefully it's beneficial. Someone in chat just said, in some ways, it's a difficult concept to accept, which I think could affect understanding. It can get difficult to wrap your brain around. I do believe that there is truth to that. But what's frustrating is on one hand, you're like, okay, I know this is a difficult concept. So we're going to use a little bit of repetition. We're going to use review. We're going to do reminders. And then you'll get someone saying, you've repeated yourself too much. I'm not going to listen to another hour. It's ridiculous. It's stupid. And then you're like, okay, so what do you do? You got the one person yelling at you for being too repetitive. You got other people who don't seem to get it. What do you do as a teacher? I, I, I you know, who knows? Sometimes, all, I guess sometimes all you can do as a podcaster, and I hate to say this, you just can't really listen to anyone. 
You just have to kind of make the decision on yourself and live with it because trying to please all the people, you'll realize sooner or later you can never do so. And so you just have to sometimes make your own decisions. But we've been using issues ETC. Now, the last the last episode we took apart was kind of a train wreck. And, and, I, and I hate to say that. No, I mean, look, when you produce as many hours of content issues ETC produces a week, not every episode's going to go the way you had planned. I don't know if it just, I don't know what happened, but it just seems so disconnected from the actual thesis, theses, but we still made the most out of it. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back now. We've made it to theses number six, and we're going to use issues ETC. We hope that they will stay closer to the thesis itself, and hopefully we will all benefit. So let's do this. God's no, God's yes. CFW Walther. Page 29, we come to thesis number six, which reads, In the second place, the word of God is not rightly divided when the law is not preached in its full sternness and the gospel not in its full sweetness. When, on the contrary, gospel elements are mingled with the law, and law elements with the gospel. And this mingling of gospel elements mingled with the law and law elements mixed and mingled with the gospel, that is Christianity 101 in 2023, whether we want to admit it, admit it or not. Now, let me read this again. Okay, the word of God is not rightly divided when gospel elements are mingled with the law And law elements are mingled with the gospel. The word of God is not being rightly divided. And if you've been listening to our study on sanctification, especially all of the episodes I did yesterday, we saw a perfect example of this mingling. Sometimes when Christians start talking about sanctification, whether they like it or not, they inadvertently basically destroy the doctrine of justification. They basically contradict the doctrine of justification. And it's, it's a mess. So because it's such a mess in the Christian world, I'm going to just continue. I'm going to continue to spend hour after hour after hour trying to help us understand this very important subject. All right. So are you ready? Issues ETC. Now, here's what's happened. At the beginning, they have their commercials. They came out of their commercials. They started playing a hymn. From that hymn, then they came in, kind of did a brief introduction. Now they're going to make a reference to the hymn that they were, they played right when they came in, but I don't want to play any part of the hymn because music is, you know, copyrights on music are very, very, very stringent. You can't really even use music in any way, even under fair use. Music is very controversial. So I left the music out. We're going to go. So after all of the commercials, we're going to come in. Now remember, we only review the segment between commercial breaks. So as soon as they go to their next commercial break, then that's that'll be the end of this episode. These are making these episodes a little bit shorter, but I think it's also helping us keep just maybe one or two concepts in mind until we review the next part. So hopefully people are finding that somewhat beneficial and helpful. I know we're becoming, I know we're really, you know, reviewing, 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 but I'm trying to help people really get these concepts in their mind. So here we go. Issues ETC, you should subscribe to their podcast. If you do not, you need to make that a priority today. 
And, uh, well, we're going to see how they handle thesis, thesis number six. And I'll have my own thoughts and perspective as well, because many cases I deviate strongly with their approach. But on this one, I think we should be in strong agreement. At least I think so. So here we go. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. He formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. He hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Todd. Joy to be with you. So as Walter begins the 10th evening lecture, he's giving a little, maybe a pep talk to these young men who are headed toward the holy ministry. Why does he find occasion to quote Paul Gerhardt and that stanza we just heard? Well, I think to get it, you need to sort of back up to the startling statement that he makes to them at the beginning of the lecture. I had this underlined in my book and circled with, oh my goodness, what did he say? Walter said, the most important resolution a person can make by the almighty grace of God is to become a true Christian. (laughs) Before you, he said, wait a minute. Decision theology alarm bells are going off. No, he's really not thinking that way. Just so that you know, Lutheranism obviously rejects what we call decision theology or decisionism where someone decides to become a Christian because then they don't go full. It's really kind of this weird, it's it's not decisionism. It's not full-blown Calvinism. It's kind of somewhere in the middle, right? You don't really make a decision for Christ because God has to give you the faith, but it's not all the way full-blown Calvinism. It's kind of this weird middle. Sometimes it makes great sense. Sometimes it seems somewhat confusing, you know, because like, for example, God gives you faith. So they will say, okay, see, that's why you can take a baby, sprinkle water on it, and boom, God will grant it faith. Well, if God, if God grants it faith through the sacrament and it's God giving it the faith, then it should be an well, everlasting faith. They should not be able to lose it. But then, well, at least I was taught as a Lutheran, no, 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 the the baptism saves, but then you can turn around and lose it, which then destroys their entire idea of salvation by grace alone. The whole thing is somewhat confounding at times. So that's why he he mentions the decisionism, just if you're not familiar with Lutheran theology. Um, and uh, I, I can't say I'm by no means an expert. I mean, I was a Lutheran, wanted to become a Lutheran pastor. But um, yeah, there's times I was even scratching my head as a Lutheran going, well, wait a minute. I don't get this. I don't get this. We can lose our salvation? Well, then if I can lose it, that that, that seems to destroy the idea that, I, that, that faith is a gift from God. Are you saying I can just hand it back? Okay, so then uh, well, the whole thing, the whole thing becomes kind of, uh, so then what's the point of infant baptism if the child can just get old enough and just say, I don't want it anymore? Then the infant, what, I guess it just provides, I guess, some kind of assurance that the child is safe until the child can decide. It's, it's, it gets all confusing, especially considering of the proper distinction between law and gospel. It becomes a little confusing, but let's not get sidetracked by that. Just if you didn't know what they were talking about, that offers a little bit of insight. Here we go. He is thinking, though, very much of how important it is to be in earnest about your faith. And to have your faith not be some sort of tacked on thing to your life, but that it be the very content of your life. And he said, this resolution cannot make a person happy and save his soul. 
if he is not in full earnest when forming the resolution. He's got to really want to do this, to, to hand his life over to Christ by the grace of God. He makes very clear about that. It's not just somebody's own power to do this, but to put your entire life at Christ's disposal. Now, I hate all of this language. I hate this entire thing. To me, this is confounding and conflating law and gospel, and it's confusing. Hey, if you want to be saved, you've got to give yourself fully over to God. But but you don't do it. Well, Christ does it for you. Well, if Christ does it for you, well, then every Christian should have fully given their life over to God completely. And it's not just that Christ is tacked on. Christ is their life. Well, what would Christians look like if their lives were fully given to God? I was a Lutheran. There were plenty of them that had not fully, quote unquote, given their lives over to God. I don't I don't know if I can even say if I've ever truly fully given my life over to God because I have a sinful nature, meaning there's always going to be a part of me that's not fully ever given over to God because I have a sinful nature. So to, to somehow say, well, that's that's salvation or that's how that's how you get salvation. But then try to say, but, 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 but you don't do it. It's the grace of God that does it for you. The whole thing just becomes, well, then then you have to sit there and go, well, wait a minute. Have I, I don't think I've fully given my life over to God. Clearly, I'm not saved. So clearly, God doesn't want me to be saved because clearly God hasn't done it for me. That, that I, That's so con- confusing. And what I hope you start to learn is even in our doctor, in a study on sanctification and in our study of long gospel is how difficult it is. For human beings to take God's word and fully understand salvation, fully understand justification, fully understand sanctification. And that's why for 2,000 years in church history, we have seen so many different approaches. That's why the Catholic system is so convoluted. Everyone looks at the Catholic system and go, what a mess. It's like, so you're saved, but you're not saved. It's you, you have to have the grace of God. You got to be in the grace of God. You can lose it. You got to do this to get it back. And you're like, How? they've made it so complicated. I'm sorry. Look at the non-Catholic world. It's just as convoluted. It's just, we don't have a system trying to explain it. One minute we talk like, we're saved by an imputed righteousness. The next minute we talk like we're saved by an infused righteousness. The next minute we say we have to do this in order to prove that we're saved. And next minute we talk like we have to do this in order to be saved. It's all over the place. So even CFW Walther, who in many cases is like the man when it comes to the proper distinction between law and gospel, he himself can't resist at times going back saying, well, well, I mean, if you're saved, then... You know, you, you've given all of yourself over to God. Okay, so what does that look like? How do you measure that? Measure that, And once you start measuring it, guess what you're doing? You're looking at your obedience to law in order to determine whether you're saved or not, not to Christ's obedience to the law to, to find assurance of your salvation. He then moves to the parallel point that the same is true when a person decides they want to become a minister of the Church of Christ. That is a momentous resolution, but it's gratifying, he says, only when it's backed by earnest endeavor. When a person wants to become a servant of the gospel, Walter says, he must be so disposed towards his Lord Jesus Christ as to be able to say to him, 
My dear Lord Jesus, thou art mine, therefore I will be thine. All that I possess, my body, my soul, my strength, and all my gifts, and all that I do my entire life shall be consecrated to thee, to thee alone. Lay on me any burden thou pleasest, I shall gladly bear it. Lead me anywhere through sorrow or joy, through good fortune or misfortune, through shame or honor, through fame or favor of men or through disfavor. Grant me a long life or should I die an early death? I will be satisfied with anything. Lead the way, Lord, and I shall follow. And That preach is good. And you can raise your voice and you can say it and people can sincerely believe that they can make such a promise or make such a vow. But I'm telling you over and over and over, you're going to fall short over and over. You're going to fall short over and over and over. You're going to fall short because as long as you have a sinful nature, your sinful nature over and over and over again will say, no, 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 no. Serve self. Be selfish. Focus on yourself. Think only about yourself. Don't worry about anyone else. Feel bad about yourself. Feel pity. Hold, hold bitterness against this person. It's great to preach that way. You can, you can, you can, you get the crowd all excited and you can get people going, yes, yes, I'm ready to rush hell with a water gun. Yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a pastor and I'm going to give myself fully to God. And all I care about is the things of God and I renounce everything and I'm going to do it. And then you're going to find out you're a human being with feet of clay. So I, 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 I mean, I guess you can hype everyone up with like this, but I, I don't, I don't, it's not a realistic picture of the way it's going to be in life or in ministry. The way it's going to be is you're a human being and you're going to have your ups and you're going to have your downs. You're going to struggle. You're going to get frustrated. You're going to still be committing sin internally and externally. You're going to constantly get at times frustrated with the people you're ministering to. Ministry is going to be hard. You're going to get discouraged. You're going to get depressed. There's going to be times you want to give up. I don't know why we can't just be more honest with what it's going to look like. And the same is true in your own Christian life. And then he says, and that's the whole point of that stanza by Paul Gerhardt. He gives it in this form. I cleave now and forever to Christ a member true. My head will leave me never, whate'er he passes through. He treads the world beneath his feet and conquers death and hell and breaks sin's thrall. I'm with him through it all. So the point is, when you're an earnest Christian and when you're an earnest servant of the word, a minister of the word, you're saying, Lord Jesus, you have your way with my life. And I'm not going to complain to you about any of it. You just lead me. As long as you're leading me, that's all I ask for. He points to the great example of St. Paul and uh, the devotion he had to the Lord and the way he followed him without question. And he's praying that in these evening lectures. Point to the Apostle Paul who supposedly followed Christ without question, but it was the Apostle Paul who said the things I want to do, I don't do. and The things I don't want to do, I do. And the Apostle Paul who referred to himself as the chief of sinners. But hey, we, we always downplay that. Oh, well, Paul was just super sensitive. Or maybe Paul realized how sinful he was, and maybe Paul wasn't as perfect as we want to always make him out to be. And the thing isn't, Christ, I will always be with you. My hope is that Christ will always be with me. The, the, 
my hope is not that I will always be faithful to Christ, but that Christ will always be faithful to me because of his sovereign love and his divine election. And it is God who is faithful when I am unfaithful. It is God who forgives when I'm unforgivable. It is God who is gracious when I deserve nothing but condemnation. These young men will be formed to have that same sort of mind, that they're going to be serious at first about their Christianity, but then they're also going to be serious about the office of the ministry that's going to be entrusted to them so that they actually apply themselves to it with everything they got. How does that serve as an introduction to, this will be now thesis six, you are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you do not preach the law in its full sternness, and the gospel in its full sweetness. Similarly, do not mingle gospel elements with the law or law elements with the gospel. I can't wait to hear this. I can't wait to hear how that was an introduction to that thesis. I cannot wait to hear this because I don't understand how that's an introduction to this thesis in any way, shape, or form. I don't. I don't, and I don't, I don't, I don't, because to me, all you just gave is this description of all these things these ministers are supposed to do and how they're supposed to live. To me, which is law, 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 law. There's no comfort in that. So if you're going to show, if you're going to use this as an introduction to the thesis, is that these pastors, these young men, should be absolutely discouraged and devastated because they're going to realize they can't do it, and they're going to have to learn that Christ did it for them. That, that would be the proper introduction to that thesis, but let's see if, how he describes why this is a proper introduction or a great introduction to this thesis. Here we go. I think he's saying, if you're going to be in earnest about this job that you're going to do, then the very most important thing for you to keep straight is the teaching of the law and of the gospel. Otherwise, what you're going to be proposing to do will come to nothing if you cannot keep these two things straight and straight in this way, that you do not start mingling them together. And he's going to give some really wonderful concrete examples of how it happens that they get mingled together. That's not an explanation on how your introduction fits perfectly with this thesis. I, I still don't understand the introduction. It makes no sense to me. To me, the introduction is a mingling of law and gospel. Okay, but all right, we're just going to forget the introduction. We're going to forget the introduction. The entire introduction makes no sense to me. It's confounding, confusing. All right, but I want to get to thesis number six. We, do, we need to keep the two, law and gospel, separate. You cannot mingle law elements with the gospel and gospel elements with the law. you got to keep them separate, all right? Now, I think in some roundabout way, they just demonstrated how easy it is to mingle them. But let's see how he handles this thesis. But uh, he just wants it to be really clear. Don't you let any law slip into your proclamation of the gospel. And when you are preaching the law, don't let any of the gospel slip in to try to uh, mitigate in any way the harshness of what's being said. The law in all of its terror and sternness needs to be heard. You need to just unleash it. And he's going to stress as we work our way through this, he'll say this, you know, you, it doesn't mean yelling at your people. You don't have to do that. All you do have to do is speak to them the law as God has given it. Let it go do its work on them and then bring them the sweet gospel. 
He begins with the law, and he directs the students to Galatians 3. Yep. First place he looks, and he says this is actually the principal passage for the point that he's making in this thesis. Galatians 3, verses 11 to 12. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. He draws a couple points out of this. He says that first thing you need to see is that the law doesn't have the power to make anyone righteous. It just doesn't have anything to say about justifying faith. So if when you're preaching the law, you try to run a reference to justifying faith into your preaching of the law, he says, it's going to end up corrupting the law that you're trying to preach. Similarly, he just notes the law doesn't say anything about grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So grace is simply not a factor when you're dealing with the law. I think Luther once said it along these lines, you know, Mr. Moses doesn't cut any deals. (laughs) You know, it's like full, complete obedience or hell. That's what the law hands over to you. That's the hardest thing to grasp because our instinct is to say God will be satisfied with our best efforts. Right. He's going to deal specifically with with the, the temptation to want to say that to people. And whenever we do that, all we're doing is short-circuiting how God wants to work in those people's lives because he really does want his law to make them despair of themselves and realize that they cannot save themselves. It is really a function of the law as a mirror to show you the mess you're really in. And when you see that mess and realize you can't fix it, you mean you have no ability whatsoever to address it, then the gospel itself comes to you as a sweet message. It comes to you as real good news, uh, as what you could not do. God has done in his son. This is such an important point. I'm going to read from the thesis itself from the book, God's No, God's Yes. This is page 29. It starts this way. The commingling of both doctrines occur when gospel elements are mingled with the law and vice versa. Let us investigate what scripture says regarding this matter. To begin with, what does it say concerning the law? How does it show us that we must not mingle any evangelical ingredient into the law? Then there's Galatians 3, 11 through 12, all right? And then this is what he says about Galatians 3, 11 through 12. A person becomes righteous in the sight of God solely by faith. Let me stop right there. You only become righteous before God solely by faith. This is why it is ridiculous to look to someone's life and say, well, because you do this or you do this or you do this, this proves you're saved. No, no, no. I'm righteous before God solely by faith. You can look at my life and say, I do this or do that or don't do this or don't do that. None of that can prove that I'm saved because I'm only righteous by faith alone. And none of this can make me unrighteous because I'm righteous before God by faith alone. That's why looking to actions and what you do will never be able to prove your salvation because your salvation is by faith alone. You are declared righteous in the sight of God by faith alone. 
And guess what? The law, and this is very important, the law, I'm, I'm quoting from the book, the law cannot make any person righteous because it has not a word to say about justifying and saving faith. That information is found only in the gospel. The law has nothing to say about grace. Whenever you look to someone's life and go, well, if you do this or you don't do this, you don't do this, this proves you're saved or proves you're not saved is ridiculous because you're comparing someone's life to the law. Therefore, all you're going to demonstrate is that you're not saved. Unless you're comparing yourself to some different standard. But if you're giving, if you're giving, if you're looking at a, a test. Okay, how do you know you're saved? You do this, you do this, you do this. Well, you're using the law as the standard. That law demands perfection. And guess what? Even if you were to somehow obey it, you still would not be righteous before God because obedience to the law will never truly justify you because you're already guilty in Adam. And guess what? Even if your obedience to the law would only be external at best, you never will keep it internally because you have a sinful nature. Therefore, you cannot look to the law in any way, shape, or form to make anyone righteous. It wasn't designed to make anyone righteous. It has no power to make anyone righteous. It's designed to condemn you and show you your sin. All right, let's continue. What does he find in Romans 4 to make his point? That's a beautiful passage too. Romans 4, 16. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed. I think that's the Greek word babios, right? That's like certain, sure, unshakable. To all his, that is Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Righteousness, then, he says, is of faith so that it may be of grace. This is so important. He says, both statements are identical. He says, when when you tell a person to believe the promise, all you are telling them to do is stretch out your hand and you have it. Faith is simply interchangeable there with grace. It's a beautiful, beautiful promise. He wants to be careful, and this is where he talks about gospel elements or law Mm -hmm. elements. What does he mean there? Well, he says, a preacher must proclaim the law in such a manner that there remains in it nothing pleasant to lost and condemned sinners. Every sweet ingredient injected into the law is poison. It only renders the heavenly medicine ineffective. It neutralizes its operation. So that's a real challenge. When you're proclaiming that law, your task as a preacher is to make sure that there is nothing of the sweet gospel put into it. Just think about the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. He doesn't say, well, I really want you to kind of sort of believe in me as best you can with all your heart, and I'm sure that God will give you grace and forgive the rest. That would be to gut what God's saying in the first commandment. He's standing in front of you and saying, hey, hey, I am the Lord your God. No other ones. Don't you put any one other one by here by me. None, none, period, the end. 
And we know from the catechism's beautiful explanation, he's demanding that we fear him and love him and trust in him with all of our heart. And we know that we simply do not have the ability to do that on our own, apart from the grace and power of the Holy Spirit. See, that's where I disagree. Even with grace, even with supposedly the power of the Holy Spirit, we cannot do it. See, that's where I get so frustrated because th- this, this is the idea that a that proper distinction between law and gospel. Okay. Here's the law. The law demands the law demands. And then you come around and say, but, 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 but when you become a Christian, now you have the power to do it. That is ridiculous. No, you don't. You will never truly love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. You will always be putting other things either before God, equal with God. You find yourself constantly doing that. You constantly put yourself above God. You put your own desires above God. We're in a constant state of not fulfilling and falling short of the commandments. Especially when you have Jesus expound and show you the deeper meaning of the commandments, that it goes beyond just an external thing. It goes even to the internal. Well, guess what's inside of you? A sinful nature. Guess what the sinful nature does? It exalts you above God. It exalts you above everything. Your feelings, your desires are more important than anybody else's feelings or desires. That look, we see that happen to us all the time. When we get into an argument or a fight with someone, what do we do? We're worried about our feelings. Our desires and, and we're mad and we fight for our feelings and our desires and we're not worried about anybody else's feelings or desires. We only see what we feel. We only care about what we feel. That's, that's because that's our sinful nature. Even after salvation, you still can not do it. And if you're going to tell me that because of God's grace and because of the power of the Holy Spirit, now we can, then guess what you would say? Hey, now that you're a Christian, you can keep the law. But you cannot keep the law as a Christian. You cannot keep the law before you became a Christian. What is the difference? The difference is now as a Christian, someone has kept the law for me. His name is Jesus Christ. And by faith alone, his obedience is imputed to me. So I can now stand before God and God can say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, because I am in Christ. And so therefore his obedience is mine. And God sees the obedience of his son that's imputed to me. Now in practice, yes, should I seek to try to live out a life where I don't put other things before God and God is first, Oh, that's what we should strive to do. But it's a never-ending battle that will be mixed, that will be whatever success we even think we have is going to be immediately met with more failure and more struggle. Now, I know Christians don't want to hear that because we want, just as I talked about in sanctification, so much of Christianity is just like, again, I I I told a story in in our series on sanctification. I'm going to tell it here. I don't know about you, but when I was a little kid, if I if I was reading a comic book or if I was watching some cartoon, anything with superheroes, the next thing I know, I'm like, I got to find a towel. And I'd get a towel, put it around my neck, get a clothespin, and that towel would become my cape. And I would next day, I was Batman. I was Superman. I was a superhero and I could fly. And I would run around the house thinking I had power and p- picturing that I was crashing through walls. Bullets were bouncing off me. Nothing could stop me. I was fighting giant monsters. I was, I had superpowers until, you know, I jumped off the couch or 
off the side of the house or whatever. And then I would hit the ground or hit something and boom. And then all of a sudden reality would hit me. And the next thing you know, I'm crying. <laughs> what happened? I think I broke my arm. What happened? Well, that's for sadly, a lot of Christianity is a lot of adults putting a towel on clip, uh, getting a uh, clothes, uh, you know, clipping something to it, right? You know, uh, uh, something to clip that towel around their neck and they're running around the church, running around their Christian life, pretending that they have superpower, pretending they have ability and it looks good and it sounds good and everyone's cheering going, yes, you can do it. And preachers are telling you, you've got the power and you're running around and you've got the towel and you think you're a superhero and you can do it and you can overcome sin and you can say yes to God until sooner or later, you reality hits you in the face and you're in a corner, curled up in the fetal position, sucking your thumb, going, what is wrong with me? I can't seem to do this. Because a towel with a clothespin is just pretending to be something you're not. The Christian life is that we're sinners. We were sinners. We are sinners. The difference is I'm no longer a sinner in my position. And in my position, I'm a new creature. The old is gone, everything is new. In my position, I no longer sin. In my position, sin has no power over me. In my position, I'm eternally secure. In my practice, I'm a sinner and I fall short. And in my practice, I should be condemned. But the grace of God is greater than my sin, and the blood of Christ cleanseth me from all of my sin. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. He's assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hemel, Illinois, and he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. More from CFW Walther on distinguishing law and gospel after the break. And that's our cue to stop this episode. So there you have it. Once again, while trying to do a proper distinction between law and gospel, inevitably, look what happens. Law and gospel. Law can't do anything for you. Law will condemn you. But then inevitably, they have to fall into the same trap that everyone else falls into. See, when you become a Christian, then dun, 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 dun. Now you have the power to keep the law. Now, at other times, they will say you don't. But in this particular case, it's very much hinted that you do. You don't. Christianity is not, salvation is not giving you the power to keep the law. Salvation is saving you because you cannot keep the law ever under any circumstance. And if you think you can, then you are self-deceived and you've clothed yourself in fig leaves and self-righteousness and you're convincing yourself of something that is not true. You've put on your cape, you put on your towel, you've got a clothespin, you're running around claiming to be a superhero. But guess what? Sooner or later, everyone is going to realize that you're not because you're going to fall, you're going to sin. And even if you're able to keep that cape on for a very long time, that towel around your neck, convincing everyone that you can... Deep down, when you go to bed at night, you know what's in your heart. You know your motives. You know your thoughts. You know your desires. And you may, and you know what you're doing in private that nobody else knows about. You know you're a sinner. And I know it as well. I know I'm a sinner. The 
The law does nothing but condemn you. And the gospel gives you the good news that Christ has saved you. There you have it. We're going to have to stop there. I know we didn't get very far. But these segments are short. Remember, that's that's what we said. So when we come back, no, well, not today. Um, well, I don't think I'll do another long gospel today. But the next time that we broadcast, um, well, if I do if I do another broadcast today, it will be on long gospel. Um, the only reason why is starting tomorrow morning, 10 a.m. at Sunday school, we're in the book of Jeremiah, 11 a.m. At, at Victory Baptist Church. So 10 a.m. Sunday school at Victory Baptist Church is Jeremiah. 11 a.m. worship service at Victory Baptist Church is Jeremiah. Sunday night at 6 p.m. At, at Victory Baptist Church is Jeremiah. And then starting Monday, it's just going to be Jeremiah from uh, Monday to the end of August. It's just going to be hour after hour, Jeremiah, 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 Jeremiah. We're going to use, we're going to use anything and everything at our disposal. It's just going to be Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. That's all we're going to do all the way to the end of August. So we're, we only have a few days left and the goal is to get to the end of the book and we're going to have like a Jeremiah marathon. So once we get to tomorrow, for the next couple of days, it's just going to be Jeremiah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah. All of that can be found in our Bible study exercise. Um, so um, if I do anything else today, I promise you it will be law and gospel um, to uh, because we will have to take a couple of day, days of break from law and gospel to just go on a Jeremiah marathon. So um, just so that you know what's going on. All right, there you have it. All right. Any questions about the proper distinction between law and gospel? Let me know. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And if you want to hear kind of a weird mingling of law and gospel, go listen to the last, what, three episodes that we did yesterday on uh, sanctification. Called Set Apart. I think, was it seven, eight, and nine, or eight, nine, and ten? I don't remember the numbering. Um, just look for the three that I did yesterday, and, uh, well, you'll hear a good example of it. All right, see how these all connect together? See how everything links together? All right. Thanks for listening. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. May God continue to bless you as you continue to meditate and struggle with a proper understanding of the proper distinction between law and gospel.